0: Our second reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. The Word of the Lord. Seven years ago, we started Christ Church Vienna the intention of starting Christ Church Vienna was not to have another church building or even another church service. It was built out of our vision and values, which said we wanted to be a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family, Anglican mission for Vienna, Virginia. Towards the end of that is that phrase, for Vienna, Virginia. And the basic summary of that is that place matters. Place matters. We want to be the kind of church and the kind of people who are for, not just in the places that God puts us, which means we're pursuing God's purposes for this place, not just this building right here, but any place that God puts us through our presence there, our involvement in the community, our relationships, and our vocations. That's what we're talking about this morning. As we start in on this eight-week series called Gospel and Life, which is a parallel study to our vision and values. In order to start thinking about place, I want us to think about uh, some images here, okay? So first I want to compare these two images of which place is more godly? Which place in your mind is more spiritual? Which place do you go to to seek the Lord? Now go to the next one. Which place shows God at work? Where is God more on the move? Where are His design and intention for creation being more fully realized? Our natural tendency, my ta- natural tendency for years, was to think the left, not the right. But I think it's a mistaken reading of Scripture, and it's because we as Christians and as people, need a better theology of place, a better understanding of God's intention for creation and where it's all going so that we can cultivate God's view for the city, for our neighborhood, for our school, for any place that God puts us. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah is writing a letter to his fellow Israelites who have been taken into Babylon as captured people. And this is what he writes in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 and 6, the verses that were read just a few minutes ago. The letter to the exiles, God says to the exiles in Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Multiply there and do not decrease. He wants them to build houses, to plant gardens, to get married and have children, and raise children who have children. Basically, he's talking about investing in the place God puts you over the course of time. Living very normal lives, but not for your own existence. Now, this was incredibly challenging to the people that were there in Babylon. Jeremiah's back in Israel, back in Jerusalem, but here's what had happened not too long before this. The Babylonians had come and conquered Israel. To be conquered is a horrible thing. People were obliterated, murdered, slaughtered, half of your family killed, everyone on your street destroyed, your entire city burned down. You've seen pictures of war-torn places. That was what it looked like if you were an Israelite. And the, the highest class society was taken off in exile to Babylon, a place far away that nobody had ever been. These high society people, the Israelite kind of princes, if you were, the elite, the rich, were carried off and taken into exile in Babylon. And there they were supposed to live. How do you live when you're in exile? When you are in a land where you hate the people around you because they have murdered your family and your nation. I mean, imagine yourself, this entire place destroyed, half your family gone and you taken to a far distant land and that's where you're supposed to live. They have a couple of options. One option is to assimilate to Babylonian culture, to embrace and adapt to the culture that they're going to be living in. Hey, this is your new home. Live like the Babylonians, adopt their priorities and values and that's ultimately what Babylon wanted to do. When they conquered a nation, they destroyed all of the fighting classes and then took all of the elite classes back to Babylon hoping they would assimilate take on Babylonian culture, become good Babylonians, and thereby eliminate the nation and its ethnicity. So go ahead and assimilate. It'll be easier for you. Or they could reject Babylonian culture. They have to live there, but that doesn't mean they can enjoy it. They could disdain the Babylonians because the Babylonians are horrible people. They can fight against Babylonian culture and its influence on their own culture. They could separate themselves, live ghettoized lives. Like, you know, a a little Italy in Boston or like a Chinatown in D.C., the way that cultures did when they first moved over to the U.S. a hundred years ago, do the same thing in Babylon. Live separate from everyone else so that you can avoid contamination and contact with the pagan Babylonians. And this is exactly what false prophets were saying. False prophets were telling the Israelites, hey, don't worry, God's going to flatten the Babylonians in just a few weeks, maybe a year. Don't give in to the Babylonian culture. Fight it and you're going to go back to Israel because God loves us. And Jeremiah said, no, that's not the case. God does love you, but the way he wants you to be loved is for you to love the people that he has placed you around. God's call is for them to get married and plant gardens and have children and build houses to live very normal lives, but not for themselves, for the common good of the community and for God's glory. They were to build and create and cultivate and be fruitful and multiply in their city of exile. All of those words, build, create, garden, multiply, get married, have children, all of that is language that we've heard at the very beginning. Where else does God say to do that sort of thing? In Genesis 1 and 2, he does. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read God made man and woman in his image. And he said, Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the face of the earth. Steward the creation, fill the creation. And in Genesis 2, it says that he puts Adam in the garden in order to work and keep the garden. To work it is to cultivate it, to keep gardening. And to keep it is to be a steward, a caretaker of that place. Now, what's the difference between a jungle, a wasteland, and a garden? Let's look at this photo right here. Compare these two gardens. (laughs) Which one looks more like a garden, and which looks more like a wasteland? obvious the one on the left is the beautiful garden (laughs) the one on the right is overdone I mean flowers everywhere (laughs) a garden is the intentional ordering or reordering in order to increase fruitfulness or beauty do you know what an orchard is an orchard is a place where they grow like apples let's say but if you go to an apple orchard what you'll find is they'll have rows of different kinds of apples They do that on purpose so that cross-pollination happens, so that the fruit trees are more fruitful. Cross-pollinization is an intentional thing, therefore you have to order the rows of apples so that one kind is here and another kind is right next to it. You don't put all the same kind all over the place. In a desk, if you are trying to be productive at your desk, it can be helpful to get order to your desk first. It's taking the chaos and bringing order is what God calls Adam and Eve to do. It's what He calls us to do to live out the creation mandate. Sometimes it's for fruitfulness or productivity, sometimes it's just for beauty. Like when a person takes, takes a, a palette and on it are globs of, of green, or I mean, a, of yellow and, and red and blue and white, and they take those globs of pigment and they take a stick with bristles on the end of it and they mix the pigment colorings in different ways a little more blue, a little less white, and then they apply it to this sheet, this canvas, and they start moving the pigment around in a particular way to create beauty and art, a painting. It's taking the chaos and disorder, rearranging it for beauty and art. So whether it is a orchard or your desk or painting, What we are called to do as humanity, as humans, in creation is to take the chaos and bring order, to use our creativity to bring beauty and flourishing and fruitfulness. And as we do that, we are fulfilling God's purposes for us in creation and for this creation. You know, the story of the Bible begins in a garden, right? Genesis 1 and 2, but where does it end? begins in a garden it ends in a a city oh yeah a city whether it's the end of isaiah or the end of revelation you have the picture of the city of god that is not accidental eden eden was a place to dwell in harmony with god and creation in one another But God's call to Adam and Eve was to fill the earth. You know what their call was to do? Was to garden and keep gardening until the whole earth was a garden. But do you know what happens when you fill the earth with people and you keep gardening? So they were supposed to take Eden and push it out to the next level, to take the wasteland on the far end of the garden and make it garden and fill that with people that then garden. And when you take things from wasteland To garden to the next step, its community, its culture, and it eventually becomes a city. The intentional ordering and reordering for fruitfulness. A city is the end of the gardening task. It's a place of order and creativity and density and diversity filled with image bearers of God. And we are called to participate with God in the creation as caretakers of our corner of the garden. And that's why place matters. Place matters. Place matters because God creates physical place. It's not just God out there in the, in the netosphere or whatever it would be. That's not a word. God creates a universe and an earth, and he separates the sea from the land. And he puts inhabitants on it in particular places. God creates physical life that occupies specific place. Place matters because God imbues it with his creative order. Place matters because God always works in place. Redemptive history is always local. God works through particular people in particular places in particular times. Adam was in the garden, right? Moses was in Egypt. And when God wanted to redeem all of humanity, he didn't just boom, shh, good. He enters Bethlehem. That's pretty dang local. The God of the universe shows up in a feeding trough as a baby wrapped in a diaper and says, I will enter your mess. I believe the locality matters. This is how I'm working. It's place where we fulfill the creation mandate to build and to order, to be fruitful and to beautify. Place is how relationships happen. We need proximity to be friends with people. We need proximity to have extended family. Place is where the gospel spreads, It is always person-to-person-to-person that God is acting. Location is integral, not incidental or accidental to our design and our calling. Place matters. And the problem I've found is that our current culture devalues place. We are transient, not rooted. We've talked about this here a number of times. We are transient, not rooted. We have little identification with the places we dwell in. Many of us occupy places, whether it's work or a street or a school, that we're only going to occupy temporarily. Think about the ancient world. In the ancient world, the, the greatest punishment for a person in Greek or Roman culture was either death or banishment. And sometimes they would let somebody choose. Hey, you're guilty of a crime. Do you want to be executed or do you want to be kicked out of Rome? Very often they would choose death. Can you imagine that? Most of us choose banishment from our families or hometowns on, on our own choice. And people in the ancient world thought it was such a cutting off of their identity and their hope and their future that they would never want to be banished or exiled. Place mattered in a way that it doesn't today because we're so transient. We move easily, constantly, often valuing career or money more than people or place. We are transient, not rooted. We're also consumers instead of caretakers. Now, you know the difference between a consumer mind hap, my, uh, mindset and a caretaker mindset? It's the difference between how you drive your own new car and how you drive a rented new car. I'm not great at the stick shift, but boy do I try hard when I drive a stick shift in England that I'm renting. But with my own car, I'm pretty careful. It's the consumer versus the caretaker mentality. It's the difference between how we approach eating at a restaurant and eating in our own kitchen. In a restaurant, I make an order. I want my needs satisfied the way I want because I'm paying for them. I have rights and I'm deserving. Versus in my own kitchen, I have to fill it with groceries that I pay for. I have to work to make something. We have to clean it afterwards. I have to eat and enjoy and clean up, and it's all part of the process. I'm far more responsible in my own kitchen and far more demanding in a restaurant. It's the difference between a consumer and a caretaker. And God wants us to be caretakers and cultivators, not just users of the places we are inhabiting. And in a sense, we have to think about the way we think about our responsibilities for our stuff. We tend to be very self-focused. And so I have a sense of responsibility for my stuff. I'll take care of my stuff, like my house or my yard or my clothes. Maybe not my yard, but my house and my clothes. We, we have a sense of responsibility for our stuff. We take care of it. And then we just think, okay, I'm good. I've done my job. I think what Jeremiah and what Genesis 1 and 2 is calling us to is to expand our sense of calling and responsibility beyond me. From my property, just the things I own, the things that affect me, to my places, wherever I am, I am called and meant to be responsible. In other words, to be the kind of people who don't just live here, but advocate for our caretakers and cultivators of the places God sets us. In Jeremiah twenty-nine seven, he finishes this, this phrasing. He says, "Seek the welfare of the city." where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city, the place where I have sent you into exile. That word welfare is the famous Hebrew word shalom. We can't overstate the importance of shalom in an Old Testament worldview. It meant harmony and wholeness and completion. Everything as it was meant to be. It meant harmony with God with yourself, with your body, with everyone else, with creation. Completion, wholeness, flourishing, everything as it was meant to be, everything as it was in Eden and will be again one day when God returns. And God's call for the Israelites in this horrible land of Babylon, these evil people who murdered them, is seek the shalom of Babylon. Seek shalom for Babylon, not use the places you are, exploiting the strengths of whatever town you live in for your own good. And when it says seek the shalom, it's specifically talking about God's good. You can't have welfare shalom without God. So it's not just what would I like this place to be. I think very often people get engaged in their communities, their nation, and say, here's what I think we need. Here's how it should look. But it's often very self serving. As opposed to, what does God want to do in this place, this town, this school, this nation, my office? In Gospel and Life, that we're inviting people to study, Tim Keller writes they are to seek their own prosperity in such a way that it benefits the city. They are not to use the city for their own advancement, but are to seek its advancement. Right after these verses is a, verse th- a set of verses that many of you who come from uh, scripture memory type churches or backgrounds know very well. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know, declares the Lord, the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, plans to give you a future and a hope, my guess is if any of you have memorized this or put this on your refrigerator or on some other thing, you've thought about it very personal. You've privatized and spiritualized this verse. It's about my relationship to God for me personally. But in context, it's not about that first. It has an impact on that. but It's actually first about the wider community of Israel in this exiled land of Babylon. How is God going to work out his plans for the welfare of Israel? As they work out the welfare of Babylon. What are the plans for Israel? It's not just so that you'll be happy. It's my plans for you are that you work for the good of Babylon. And as it flourishes, you will flourish. You want to know your calling? Seek the welfare of the city, the town, the place where I have put you today. In its welfare is your welfare. While God wants to reach us individually, he's calling us into community and greater impact always. Eric Jacobson, in his book, The Space Between, on the theology of place, writes, individual humans can't have shalom in the fullest sense of that word. Only human communities can. Jeremiah didn't say to perform individual acts of kindness or be a nice person. He said to seek shalom. Seeking shalom necessarily means participating in communities. Israel's hope and shalom is tied to Babylon's. And so they are called to work in and seek the hope and shalom of the city to which they have been called. And that's the backdrop for what I believe we as a church and as individuals are called to. Christ Church Vienna exists, as we say, for not just in Vienna, for not just in all the places God puts us, whether you live in Vienna or not, whether you work in this community or work somewhere else, wherever you go to school, the streets that you're on, the workplaces you go, those are the places God has put you, and we are called to be advocates for those places. So what does this mean for you personally? As an individual, I think, You need to know the places God has put you. Become the observant sort. Walk around your neighborhood. Walk around the buildings in your community. Pray for them. Pray for the people who enter them or live in those houses or occupy the floor above and below you. And know yourself. How does God want to use you uniquely in the places he has put you? Each one of us is gifted with a heart and a passion and skills that are different and we're called to cultivate in unique ways. I am not meant to be a gardener. Corky is. (laughs) Let God use you uniquely in the places he has put you. And be aware of our tendency to either assimilate or avoid. We either drop in and we want to look just like everyone else, to fit in, to, to buy into the cultural narrative to look like everyone else, to believe what everyone else does, and whatever they say is okay, I'm with, I'm okay with, but also avoid the opposite tendency to reject and disdain people and our culture. Jesus, walking towards Jerusalem in his final week, sees Jerusalem and he weeps. Jerusalem was going to crucify him. He doesn't say, Cursed be Jerusalem. Or, I'm going to avoid that godless place. He enters it weeping, praying that they would understand the peace that he had come to bring them. Does your heart break for the culture around you, for the people who disdain God, or do you have disdain for them? Are you trying to avoid, or do you deeply love people and places God has put you? We are called to be caretakers and not consumers. And that's why I would invite you to invest deeper and wider and possibly even stay longer in whatever place God has put you. And maybe if you're moving towards the end of your career, move towards cities and towards people and not away. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying God wants you to. <laughs> and that may not be here. And us collectively, Christ Church Vienna. Jesus said in Matthew 5:14, You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Ancient cities were places of safety and refuge for the weak. They were the only places that individuals could survive without family. And they were also places of connection and thriving economically, spiritually, emotionally. We are called to be a city within the city. Whatever city we live in, the church is called to be a city within the city, a counterculture to the culture, looking to benefit but also transform the culture around us. Because we develop kingdom values, gospel community. We're driven by grace and humility and generosity and not self-seeking. And so we are called to be the sort of people who incarnate ourselves in the community, who get involved not just for our own glory, but for God's. We are called to be a light in the darkness, seeking justice and mercy for those who can't advocate for themselves, which means you have to open your eyes because some places in this world have greater needs of justice and mercy than others, but every place has them. Whether it's advocating for the new immigrant community, or the aging and alone, or being the sort of church that is aware of the need for healing marriages and how hard it is for couples to stay together. Part of what we are called to do as a church is to envision eternity. You know, Vienna is a great place to live. Not all of you live in it, but the D.C. area, Vienna is a great place to live, like third best town in America, right? It is not heaven. It is not heaven. No city is, no vacation spot is, no garden is, no mountain is. Heaven is God's picture of one day restoring all things under his rule and reign. We need to look around us and say, what would this place, whatever this place is, your street, your school, this town, what would this place look like if God returned and restored all things? How do we as a church work to make that so? And we want to be the sort of church that makes ourselves vital to the place in which we live. You know, churches are often consumers just like Americans are. We are in a building right here until we don't need it, until we find something better. We're in Vienna until we find something better. But I'm calling us to be the sort of church that is so rooted that we're not looking to find the better, we're looking to make this the better, wherever the this is. We want to work ourselves to a place where if for some reason we had to leave the town of Vienna, we couldn't be in a school anymore, there wasn't another place for us to rent, that the town of Vienna would say, no, 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 don't go, we want you here. Even people who don't believe in God would say, we want you here. We're not there yet. We are there more than we were seven years ago. We are called to work to increase the order and beauty and flourishing and shalom for all, not just for our own immediate families. You know, the world is not our home. If you're a Christian, the world is not your home. Philippians 3 says our citizenship is in heaven, but Christians are called to seek the welfare of all the places God carries us into exile. You may feel like you're in exile as the culture changes and you remain the same, but you're called to seek the welfare of the place that God has put you, of this town, of this nation, of this world. The desire for place is very natural. Do you know many people move to Vienna for its nostalgic, small-town community feel? They like the schools, the homes, the walkable downtown. Maple Avenue closes for a parade in the fall. They love that. And there's generally across America a return to the local, the whole like farm-to-table movement in restaurants and grocery stores. You have to know how many miles your apple came from at Whole Foods. Like seven miles is better than the 20 miles. There's a hunger for community so that even any new house that's built in the town has a front porch. Nobody uses their front porch, but it looks like you use it because in the old days, people sat on their front porch and talked to each other. There's a desire for things that that look like they're enhancing community. And there's a desire in all of us for rootedness, a search for rootedness, whether it's the vintage clothing or the distressed furniture that's brand new but made to look really old, or our search for our ancestors through all those DNA websites. We want rootedness in a transient and unrooted culture. We want place and community. But all of that desire is a longing for home. Our desire for place is a longing for home. We were created to dwell in a garden with God. But because of the fall and sin, we have been separated Humanity ate from the tree of knowledge and was driven out from the garden, exiled, expelled. All of us are made to need reconciliation and restoration. You know how reconciliation came to God, came through God? It came when God entered another tree, the tree of death, the cross. The cross was set outside of Jerusalem. It was literally outside of Jerusalem so that it looked like you were exiled. And on the cross, as Jesus died, he is exiled from Jerusalem. He is forsaken by the Father. He experiences the expulsion to bring us back to God. Our hope in Christ is the hope of new creation, that one day he will restore all things and we will have access to the tree of life. Because of Jesus' death on the cross outside of the city of Jerusalem, we will be able to enter the city of God. We all live in exile. Every one of us, every human ever, lives in exile, searching for a home from which we've been expelled. That desire for place and for community is a longing for God and eternity. What we all really want is the home with God that can only be found in Jesus. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for you to come and restore all things. We see the brokenness in our own lives, and our families, and our community, in this world. But you have called us into this world to be caretakers and cultivators, culture makers and redeemers, people who are engaged in the places and for the people that you have put before us. Lord, may we build, may we create, May we bring shalom and welfare to others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.